Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Did you read Sue Walker's story on the gambling racket? Yeah. She's not pulling any punches. I know she's not. We got any word? Kid's foolish trying to fight Banny, Martin, Lefty, Royce, and that mob. Somebody's tipping her off. Who? I'm not a mind reader, but she's she's a jump ahead of us every time. How does she do it? You got me, pal. Why don't you put your foot down and stop her? What do you think I'm doing? Trouble with you is you don't know how to handle women. Yeah, I suppose you do, eh? Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of 50 Date Night Screams. I'm one of your hosts, Amber Tresca, and I'm here with my husband and co-host, Mike Tresca. Mike, what is happening? Oh, this is... I've been waiting for this one a long time. I, I've been mentioning it in the other previous podcast, which doesn't make any sense to you listen to it. So don't worry. Now it'll all make sense. Will it, though? <laughs> <laughs> we can try. Will it, though? I guess we'll see. Yes, this is episode 22. The movie is The Invisible Killer from 19... 19- 39. It is black and white. The transfer was fairly poor, both on the version that we watched on our box set and also on the YouTube that I watched a second time. The director is Sam Newfield, and it has a 4.2 out of 10 rating on IMDb. Come on. Kind of a hmm, wah wah. All right. It is one hour and three minutes long. Notable actors. Race Bradley, our plucky reporter. Again, the perpetuation of another trope that we've seen many times in this 50 Date Night Screams journey. She was married to the the man who portrayed Hopalong Cassidy, believe it or not. She kind of supported him in his career After they got married, they never had any children. He was 20 years older than her when they got married. She was 23. I believe he was 42. And he'd been married three times previous. Um, But their marriage did last 35 years. And she carried on his legacy after he passed. This is the actress who plays Sue Walker. Correct. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And unfortunately, her IMDb profile basically reads like a profile of Hopalong Cassidy and not of Grace Bradley. But it does sound like they, together, they uh, were married a long time and were very astute when it came to protecting the copyrights for Hopalong Cassidy. I don't even really know that much about him, but I know the name. It's It was before our time, but who doesn't know the name of Hopalong Cassidy? All right, so the hilarious tagline. This one is truly hilarious. A fiendish killer uses sound waves to commit his murders. No. I got super excited when I read that because I was like, ooh, 
They use sound. I like sound. How do they use sound? And then I was like, this movie is from 1939. I don't really know. And it's not science fiction. No, this is not what happens at all. No. Somebody, I don't know what's happening. I don't know if that somebody got confused or made something up. Because it's specific enough to be weird that it's wrong, right? It's not like kind of wrong. Right. It's, it's like a different well, movie wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, right. I would not discount that, that it was a different movie. That is true. This movie does have quite a few plot points to it and sort of character tropes that I could see getting it confused. And feel, several... It's almost like ChatGPT did it. Right. That's what it feels like. Right. Because you could see there's phones involved. I think, right? It's yes, there is. So you could see someone going, oh, that's the invisible, but that's not true at all. Right. Well, several of the reviews that I read were not super incorrect, but just sort of slightly incorrect. And it could just be because these, these movies are not easy to watch because of the transfer. You don't always understand what's being said. The captions are added after, so sometimes they're not perfect either. So I should say they're not perfect. Um, so that that could be why that happens. I don't know, but all right, let's get started. The movie opens with a roulette wheel. So the credits are rolling over a roulette wheel. Kind of gives you an idea of the topic right there. Actually, on a first viewing, it didn't really strike home with me. It was the second viewing that I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. All right, and so we open up on who else but the police department and Lieutenant Jerry Brown of the Homicide Bureau, and him and his colleague are sitting there, and they're discussing our plucky reporter, Sue Walker, who doesn't happen to be in the room, but they're talking about her. Turns out she keeps scooping them. She's always one step ahead, and they can't figure out how she's doing it, but plot twist <laughs> or maybe not, <laughs> Sue and Jerry are engaged. What a shocker. The reporter and the cop are engaged. So Jerry's colleague there decides to start telling him that he needs to take charge of this woman and needs to show her who's boss. You know, but then they are they leave to investigate a shooting, but the first thing that the other cop does is pick up the phone to tip off Sue. And it's right about here because there's a little of – it's a hint based on the conversation of Shore, who's boss, that there is domestic violence played for laughs in this. Oh, I, sh I should have mentioned that mm -hmm. at the top of the show. Content mm -hmm. warning. What I'm thinking of as partner violence or domestic violence, either one of those um, two things I think could apply. Yes, that does occur. <laughs> In this movie, yes, that yeah, he's gonna gotta take charge of her. Gotta gotta show her who's boss. And he makes a little gesture to his chin, like I tried and it didn't work out. And that's a that's a spoiler alert. <laughs> right. So, all right, the cops leave. They need to investigate this shooting. There's a gambling ringleader. His name is Jimmy Clark. He was killed. I don't think we ever saw Jimmy Clark alive. Or his body. He's just disgust. So they're going over there, and there's this hilarious car chase scene. Sue happens to be in the car that's in front of Jerry, okay? And she's kind of blocking them from passing, 
even though they've got the siren on, they can't get around her and she's in front of them. They don't realize at first that it's her. So Sue refuses to pull over and they're having this back and forth. The cops pull up next to her and they're having this back and forth through the presumably open windows. <laughs> totally not a thing that could happen, like, at all. And so they're ha- they're saying, pull over, whatever. She's like, I'm not going to do it. And eventually she starts going, what? Like, I can't hear you. And they're like, why'd you turn the radio up? Like, this is what this is what she's doing to them along, along the way. I love Sue Walker. <laughs> I love her so much. I, it's so unexpected. This character is so outrageously, like, does not GAF at all. I mean, she really, she really just, like, there is nothing. There's a lot of these plucky reporter types. She is the pluckiest of the pluckiest reporters. And here's the thing about this is that she's teasing them. She's getting in their way. I mean, honestly, she's, what would you call that? What would, what would be the charge? Obstructing justice? Probably. probably mm-hmm. Other things. And she, but the way that she goes about it and the way that the actress portrays it, you're laughing. You're laughing. And quite frankly, you're on her side. At least I was. I was totally on her side. Pull over. Get that car out of the way. Pull over. Why? Why? Well, I'm telling you to. I can't. I'm in a hurry. Don't you know what a siren means? Sure, you dope a vampire. All right, so they get to the scene of the shooting. Sue pulls up first, makes her way in, and then Jerry and his colleague pull up, and then here's where that partner violence situation comes into play because Jerry starts saying, I'd like to break that gal's neck. And he says that several times throughout the film. It's almost portrayed as sort of a little cute couples in joke but i don't find it funny they do eventually get sue out of the crime scene proper they won't let her in so they are able to do that (laughs) but she starts questioning people at the scene and through this we find this exposition we find out that there's this war going on there's these different factions trying to control gambling in town and we meet a character his name is lefty ross He's a crime boss, and we also meet Gloria. She's the fiancé of the district attorney, and also uh, we meet the attorney for the mob. I'm guessing he's the attorney for all these different factions. His name is Ensley. All right, got it? Tons of characters introduced here, like rapid fire. This is less than 10 minutes into the movie, all right? So... We've got a problem here. The DA, his name is Richard Sutton. He shuts down all the gambling houses and he tells them to stop paying for protection. And he actually turns down a bribe. And Mike, I still don't have an answer to this question. It's it's the offer the DA a cigarette situation. And then the DA turns down the cigarette because there's actually money in the cigarette case. Right, and we saw this in City of Missing Girls, among others. This There was more than one where it was always, if you open up the cigarette, and if anyone was listening, presumably, you it would just sound like an innocent exchange of someone offering a cigarette. But there's money in there, so the argument is if you accept a cigarette, you're accepting a bribe, uh, and it implies that you are essentially corrupt. So that does not happen. No. All right. So... Although I don't... I think we 
didn't see the money. It, it <laughs> was kind of closely. interesting because they showed the cigarette case in the version that I watched on YouTube, and it just looked like and cigarettes. No, and I remember money, so I'm like losing my mind because we. I think we watched the YouTube version too and didn't hear it, see it. So I, I thought there was in my head, but no, no bribe. So maybe it was a fake bribe, or that was underneath the cigarettes, or they forgot to put it in. The only other thing that I could think of was that he thought maybe a, the cigarettes might be poisoned. And that's why he didn't take one. But that really, I don't understand what happened there. No, because the reaction after he doesn't take it, they're sort of like, you got to play along, you know, because it's gambling, right? And and he had just lectured them about how money controls the town and that's over. So I, I feel, it feels appropriate to be a bribe, but it, it doesn't matter. Whatever it was, whether it was poor camera work or invisible money, <laughs> along with the invisible killer, uh, I think he got the point. Right. So... Back at the police station, the cops are talking, and we, the audience, find out that there have been four murders so far. Our plucky reporter, Sue, happens to be eavesdropping, like, in a closet or something. I don't know. I don't understand exactly where she was. But now she knows more about these cases as well. She wasn't supposed to be there. And she keeps writing these stories about what's going on, and Jerry is like, hey, you know, I'm a little worried. This is not cool. This is starting to get really hot, and you're kind of mixed up in it now, and I'm worried about your safety. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. She's still, at this point, she's still plucky. So Lefty calls the DA, and he says he's going to start turning over names. I think he must be worried at this point. He's going to start turning over names to the DA, but he wants protection. All right? So... Now, we find out that the DA, some, a lot of characters again, the DA, the DA's fiance and her father, his name is Cunningham, are going to have dinner at the DA's house. The DA's butler also knows Sue, so he calls Sue and tips her off, tells her she can come over. She now goes over to the DA's house, and she's hiding in the house to listen to what goes on. Now, Lefty is also coming over this same night to turn over evidence. So there's a lot going on in this house uh, in one particular evening. I don't know why they had to get this all done at, at once. And the butler isn't just tipping Sue off. He's tipsy because he is apparently writing the great American novel and he's blasted. <laughs> and that drinking gets worse as the plot moves along. Right, and as all writers know, you will meet in your life other writers, and uh, they will may ask you to read their book or <laughs> edit something or help them get published, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's what the butler. I think actually they they call him a valet, but um, oh, anyway, uh, yeah. his his uh, the DA's uh, live in help. So everybody's at the house. Lefty gets a phone call while he's at the DA's house. Like what? It's a woman on the phone. He goes into a private room. This is also hilarious. He's turning over, like, what, like, state's evidence, would we call that? Mm -hmm. And they let him, like, take a private phone call in a separate room. It's wild. And, oh, shucky darn, he gets shot. We hear the gunshots. They're not really sure how it happened. They think it might have been through the window. But in any, in any case, uh, Lefty's dead. Sue is discovered in the fracas, but... The situation has already happened. She's already heard everything. She's got the scoop. So now we see that she has written another story. And the headline this time is Police Protection Fails. Oof. 
ouchie on that one. But then we find out that Lefty didn't die from a gunshot. Lefty died from... Poison! Poison! Alex, I'll take poison for a thousand. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now they decide they're going to shut Sue out, and they're not going to tell her anything. They don't give her the story. She thinks that Lefty's been shot. She doesn't know about the poison. They want to they wanna take her down a peg. This is wild. This is a wild part thing to me that your fiancé would be wanting to do this to you. So the fiancé calls all the other papers and tells them, but doesn't call Sue. So we see that she gets in trouble with her editor. The editor is rather, it's like a little montage situation. And we see like this editor sort of like yelling at her. And uh, she comes back to the boyfriend And she tells him, look, I know what you did, and that wasn't cool. And she punches him in the face. And he falls, like, on the ground. She punches him full in the face and, like, walks out the door. And he's on the ground holding his face. And his buddy there comes over, and I don't know what the buddy says. But then he's like, the lieutenant, he's like, what a gal. And she's like, bill the office for collateral damage or whatever, and she walks out. And it's like, what? Like, okay, I mean, it's it's played for laughs. This is not the first time and won't be the last time that we've seen this where a woman punches out a man and it's supposed to be funny and whatnot. But, like, these two are going to get married? He wants to wring her neck, and she actually punched him. Hard. So anyway. yeah, I feel like this was from a Bugs Bunny cartoon back when like people casually threatened violence to their respective spouses. But uh, and then it was played for laughs if a woman did it. Right? It's funny. Oh yeah, it's it's funny. You know, well, you know, the honeymooners, right? Yep. Stra- Alice, one of these days, Alice, straight to the moon. Is that what he says? Right to yep. the moon, and he holds up his fist. Yeah. And it's like, oh, ha ha! All that domestic violence. So funny. How much of that DA talk did you hear? My little pink ears didn't miss a word. You can't print it. The doesn't pay me to get news. They just like to have me around. And you know reporters are allowed at that meeting. So that gives me an exclusive and maybe a bonus. So long, Jeff. Oh, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Not so fast. What do you think you're up to? Oh, the other half of the story is waiting for me at Vanny Martin's 59 Club. Any objections? You're mixing up in something that's liable to pin back those pretty little pinky ears of yours. As long as I'm engaged to a great big he-man detective like you, dear, I'm not afraid. All right, so Sue decides to go and see Cunningham. He's actually a reformer, and he's publicly against gambling. And this is another trope that comes up, is that there's always a character who is, I don't know, some kind of moral compass in the movie. But here's the thing. She finds out that he owns all this real estate and it is being uh, leased to these mob bosses, these crime bosses who are using them to have gambling houses, you know, like under underground gambling houses. And one of these guys, his name is Vanny Martin. So Cunningham says, well, that's not cool. I'm not okay with that. I'm going to shut him down. So he goes over to Vanny Martin's, the property that Vanny Martin is, is leasing from him, and where there's this, you know, nightlife gambling place, and he raids it. But who is there? Sue is there, because, of course, she already knows what's going to happen. Gloria is there, and Ensley's there. 
So they get everybody out. Gloria manages to get out without her father seeing her. And then Cunningham says that he he really wants this stuff to get shut down. He doesn't he doesn't want his property being used for this anymore. And Vanny's like that like you're not the cops. You can't like tell me what to do. And so Cunningham says, well, then I'm going to call the DA. So he picks up the phone to call the DA and he chokes and he falls over. And what happens, Mike? Uh, he, he, he fell over from poison. <laughs> <laughs> he falls over dead. So Sue grabs the phone and this is really, see, she's on top of this. She's smarter than everybody else. Uh, she's doing the cops' job for them. She grabs the phone and runs out of there and takes right, it to she, Jerry. She puts it together. There's something in the phone itself because that was the big question, right? They made a big plot point previously where they thought the other guy was shot and he was poisoned. She now sees that there's no shooting. There's no other way to blame that this guy died. They actually have a conversation, I think, about whether he had a heart attack or whatever. She's like, this phone's weird. And she has the presence of mind to take it. So I think, once again... Sue is awesome and uh, puts two and two together at lightning speed and smart enough and has the wherewithal to run with the phone, which turns into uh, a pretty thrilling chase in the sense that, you know, she's got evidence and it's pretty clear that she does because they they pursue her. Right. They're pursuing her. They actually shoot at her when she gets to the police station. And again, she kind of plays it for laughs, kind of coming into the police station, like falling over and whatever. Actually, no. The boyfriend carries her in. She falls over. The boyfriend carries her in. Then he discovers that she was not shot, that she was actually fine, and he legit drops her on the floor. And she's like, but we can play this to our advantage. Right. But, like, that doesn't even, like, doesn't phase her. Yeah. She's just like, here's what we're going to do. All right. Well, they do investigate the phone and find out that, yes, there was a poison capsule in the phone. And now we find out that there's a mole. There's a mole in the office. And it is the secretary. So it's the person that like mans the phones or whatever. His name is Tyler. He's been listening in on all these conversations. And he's been leaking information to the mob. And this is like the fourth time we see it. It's always interesting because none of these guys are ever hidden in like a back room. They are a switchboard operator out in front of everyone. And it's one of those things that you'd think the first person you'd check with if you think there's a leak, is the switchboard operator. But no. <laughs> so it takes no. a while for them to figure it out. And also, like, we don't see that until, like, halfway through the movie. So we don't know what's going on until then. It's almost kind of like, I don't think, this is another one that I don't think it's a fair play who done it. Like, no. we're not given the information. No. It's all over the place. It really is. It's, it's more for Sue to show her investigative chops than us, frankly. Right. So, of course, they arrest the secretary because they figured it out that, that that's what's going on. And so now Sue goes to Gloria and she says, you're seeing Ainsley. I think they're supposed to be engaged. She says, you get some information out of him. So Gloria does. She goes over to the fiance's house. She tells him a whole bunch of stuff. She says, my dad did not die of a heart attack. He was poisoned. And Ensley makes a phone call, and he's figured out that Sue is the cause of all of this, that Sue is behind it, that she's figuring everything out. And he orders Sue's death. Because, because why? Because he's actually the ringleader. He's actually behind all of this. 
So he puts out a hit on Sue, but Gloria hears that. And, I don't know, uh, Gloria's not much of a character. She's kind of, she's important to the plot, but the actress could not keep up with any of the other actors in no this No one movie. keep up with Sue. And she's sort of, the actress who plays Sue, like, just runs circles around her. But it is a trope, right? It is one of the one of the things of a female reporter, specifically, that's really valuable in these plots, is that she can get women to talk to her versus male police officers who might try and otherwise intimidate or otherwise, or, or they would be intimidated. So again, this happens, right? Sue's able to get things done by talking to Gloria that she wouldn't get. And by the way, frankly, gets Gloria to do stuff that's kind of risky. And that doesn't pay off for Gloria, actually. No, because um, Gloria is now taken hostage by Ainsley. And you know, it's funny too, that the plucky female reporter always has to do this stuff because it's kind of like, do you think y'all could hire a female police officer? Like, do you think whoa, that's a thing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, slow down. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's not let's not get into, into a little bit too far afield of what was this, the 30s? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was the almost the 40s. Almost the 40s. Anyway, so Sue is now like, oh, fuck. Now we have a real big problem. So she calls Jerry... And he's like, now she's serious. Now all this pretense, this play, she's finally done with it. She was still playing. She was shot at. She was still playing. Now she's like, Gloria's in trouble. And Jerry's a little bit like not quite believing her or not quite picking up what she's putting down. And she's like, no, like now Gloria is in trouble. And like, I really do need you to like try to act like a cop. (laughs) (laughs) Do your job. Do your job. Hey, Vanny, that newspaper name's getting away with the phone. Stop her. Taxi! <laughs> Drive me to police headquarters, quick. Hey, my taxi, don't let us get away. All right, so Jerry does help. They're at the police station, and this is another kind of I think it's supposed to be funny, but um, content warning, uh, torture. <laughs> so they stage an interrogation and the cops are acting like that they're interrogating, but it's kind of more like torture, that they're torturing someone for information. They let Tyler, who's been arrested for being the mole, overhear this. And Tyler thinks it's Ensley that they're interrogating. So Tyler is sweating it and he turns on Ainsley and he says, Ainsley's the ringleader and I'm innocent. You have to protect me from all of this. And he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make good on this. I'm going to give you the address of one of their hideouts. So he does. Tyler turns over the address of one of the hideouts. I don't know why an informant would know that, but he did. So he gave he gives it to the cops. So Jerry and the rest of the cops head over to the head over to the hideout. There's shots fired, you know, bang bang, somebody falls down, is shot. And who do they find there but Vanny Martin? And they arrest him. And they arrest his his henchman. Now Vanny wants to make a deal. Everybody wants to make a deal in this movie. He says, I will turn over Ainsley, but I want to get out of town. And I guess they're okay with this, which doesn't seem right to me. Usually the way that they protect you is that they take you into custody, right? And 
so now Vanny heads over. He, Vanny, he calls Ainsley. He says, I need some money to get out of town. You need to give it to me. And Ainsley is like, uh, okay, all right, that's fine. I don't, I don't really understand why he agrees to that, but he does. So Vanny heads over to, heads over to Ansley's place. These names, they're like, they're tongue twisters, all of them. And the cops are with him. And then they arrest Ainsley for all of these murders because he's the ringleader. It's just wrapped up. Seriously, I think the last eight minutes, everything is wrapped up in like the, so Sue asking Jerry for help, the fake interrogation, the raid on Ainsley's house all take place in like eight minutes. And Gloria is at Ainsley's house, I think, right? Gloria is somewhere in here because they mentioned, make it offhanded right. that she is rescued. She doesn't even show up, I don't think. But there's like, a, we got her. She's fine. Kind of, but don't worry. Trust us. Um, I, You know what? I think she was at Vanny's. She's somewhere in the chain of arrests. She, I, think she's, she, I think she's at the hideout. She's at the first hideout, yeah. Yeah. But so they do get her out. They do get her out. Yeah. She doesn't say anything. You just sort of see her. Yeah. So you see her and you see her leave the building and then you're like, oh, okay, Gloria's okay. Right. And, and just because we're commenting on the end here, one of the big things Sue's been making the point of is that she was trying to get this big scoop because they feel like that was either for a career or money-wise, that was a big deal. That's always the plot, right? The plot is the reporter is financially motivated because then they can get married, air quotes. Or... If it's the man, oh, it's always the man. If the, the DA is going to get some big scoop, which is financially a promotion, and then they can get married. So that's always sort of hanging over one of the two characters' heads. I don't know whose it was in this case as to what they're I don't. Was. I don't know that that was actually the motivation. But where we leave it, where the movie ends, is that Sue calls in the story to her editor. It's funny because she gives like a sentence. I don't know. That's not a story. But Jerry grabs the phone from her and says, yeah, and she quits too, you know. <laughs> and then, like, they kiss the end. Presumably that means that that means that they're getting married. And Jerry has said to her earlier in the movie that it, it's working for a newspaper is no place for a woman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so she can't, you know, she can't marry him and keep working. She was concerned about her place at the paper because she missed out on that information that Jerry fed to every other reporter except her. So that was a concern for her. Yeah. So I don't know if she was thinking that she just wanted to wrap up this story and that was why she was still hanging around and working at the paper. She had a lot of informants and she had a, a lot, she knew a lot of people. And so it wasn't difficult for her to get information. She could have kept going. I don't, I don't know why she, she had like quit. superpowers. Yeah. Like everybody would tell her stuff constantly. Like everybody, people you wouldn't even think would say stuff. She was like, yeah. Oh yeah. And she knew the butler. She knew everybody everywhere. It was amazing. She could do, she was running circles around. She had plot armor essentially. Yeah, for, for sure. Until she decided to take it too far and involve another person in what she was doing. And then that ended up being the, the problem. Yeah. It wasn't Sue. Even when they tried to kill her. No, no, they, I don't know how they missed her. And then she faked it, right? That that was part of that. Yeah, she, she did. She, so they were like, pretend I'm still dead. Yeah, they thought you she know. was dead for a minute. They yeah. thought she was dead for a minute. Yeah. So, and then she was like, well, if everyone thinks I'm dead, now I can really cause some trouble. 
and Jerry was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of things that we've seen before put together in just a marginally different way. Some decent acting in this movie um, with a few notable sort of duds, but the the two leads, Jerry and Sue, were very competent actors and did a great job. And there was quite a few different elements. There was the little montage where Sue's getting yelled at by her editor. And so they put some things into the cinematography and, and the editing and things like that that made it a little more interesting. It wasn't just shot after shot after shot of the same the same thing as some of the movies of this time are. They were clearly, the director was clearly starting to think more about what he could do with this medium. So that was pretty cool. The whole car situation with Sue blocking them and then them trying to get around her. And then they're, you know, she's yelling, they're yelling through the windows. I mean, like really very funny. It's totally implausible. Could not go down that way, but, but definitely very funny. Well, put me someplace, will you? Well, now what have you been up to? That's the first time I was ever serenaded with lead. Who shot at you? Oh, brother, you got me there. Did you get a call from the 59 Club? Yeah, somebody dropped dead. That somebody was Cunningham. And I don't think he dropped dead. What? I'm convinced he was murdered. Listen, honey, you sure none of those bullets hit you? Yes, dear, and for your information, I wasn't dropped on my head when I was a child either. All right, so, Mike, here's the big question. Is this a horror movie or is it something else? No, it's not a horror movie. There's definitely drama. It's kind of a comedy, frankly. I mean, people die and they die in the most bloodless fashion. And the two people who die, one of them is definitely unlikable. The other one's kind of stuffy. But, you know, so there's just a lot of like, eh, he's dead. Nobody really mourns either of them, really. And I don't even know how much they go into the poisoning. Uh, I feel like there's not a lot of detail on gore or anything else. There's certainly people trying to shoot other people, but no, not a horror. Yeah, they don't go into the poisoning as they have with other movies where poisoning is a plot point, where there's this, oh, they got it from the Amazon, or it's very common. They don't even, they just found something in the phone and go, oops, it's a poison. And I'm not even sure how the poison in the phone could poison you and then... I mean, phones were the way people kept in contact. Like, people were using their phones all of the time. They had to. How could you know that the phone was going to kill your intended, you know, the person you intended to and not and someone else? And it was else? gas, right? Like, I don't think it was in contact poison. It was like poison pill that was open. It was a weird, it wasn't an obvious thing. It wasn't a dart. I know that. Unless there was, I don't think so, right? They didn't say like a dart came out of the No, phone no right? dart. No. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's a cool idea. You put something in the phone. And then for our people listening who are wondering about this, when we say phone, <laughs> <laughs> we mean like the phone you got from Ma Bell yeah, back in the day. Phones. And that, that had an actual receiver, okay, that had shaped like a banana. And <laughs> the part that went in your ear in your ear, the part that went next to your ear so that you could hear, and the part that went next to your mouth, both had a part, the plastic part would actually screw off. It was like a cap. You could take it off and 
you you could see like the guts inside either the speaker or the receiver or whatever like you didn't really want to mess around with that but you could absolutely take that off and put something in there and now mike is lifting up his little mock phone which you can't see because this is a podcast um which kind of looks like a phone from the 20s and it's got that receiver and it's it's got that you hang it up and it's got the the rotary dial on it so that was the type of phone that they were using in this movie and that is why you could get away with the poison in it and then obviously it was at the part that you speak into so you were breathing in something and that's what killed the people and i don't know anyone who is like our age we're now we're famously 50 years old we're not obscuring that anyway on this podcast <laughs> um if you are maybe over 40 you may have had one of those phones you used to rent them from the phone company actually you didn't own it and you had like one in your house and i remember screwing off the the, the little caps on the phones. i don't know if you ever did that mike but i certainly mm -hmm. took those phones apart and poisoned people I did not try. I mean, it's kind of a wonder that I didn't ever break the phone. Yeah. But once you realize that they can come off, you look at it, there's a little seam. You can tell that it comes off and you go, oh, what's this? And you like take it off and go, oh, okay, well, let's see what's in there. Like, I just remember doing that. I don't know. Maybe nobody else ever did it, but I certainly did. All right, let's move on to our ratings. And as regular listeners will remember, we have our own homegrown rating system. We will give it between zero and five knives, glasses of wine, and screams. So first we're going to start with knives. And this represents the body count, how scary this movie was, if it was gory, or did it live up to its title? So... Mike, between zero and five knives, what is your rating? I have trouble being tough on Sue's movie, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll say uh, probably one. I think one. I was kind of going between one and one and a half. There is deaths for sure. Um, that, like I said, they're pretty bloodless, but it's not really a horror. So, and death is 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 meant to certainly remind people that there's a way people die, and it's certainly you know it's called the Invisible Killer, but it, it's not really the main thrust so I, I didn't feel particularly grossed out or horrified and frankly didn't fully understand how people got poisoned in the first place so one one star one knife right so several of the murders take place off screen we never see the characters or hear from them there was only two murders on screen if you're not counting i think someone that was killed in the shootout uh, right. so yeah, uh, I think the body count that you saw was actually three, it was not scary, it was not gory, did not live up to its title, it's not, I mean, I don't know, are you saying that the poison was the invisible killer? I mm, guess. It wasn't like it was an invisible man, or somebody who figured out how to kill people and get away without you seeing them, so no, but I'm gonna, uh, I, you know, I'm gonna give it 1.5 just to be different from you, how about that? <laughs> So that's that's an amber thing. <laughs> something Sue Walker would do. Something Sue Walker would probably do. All right. So now we're going to move on to glasses of wine. And the glasses of wine represents how fun it was to watch or did it have any unique 
moments. So between zero and five glasses of wine, what do you think, Mike? You are not surprised. Five glasses of wine. Five glasses of wine? I love it. You're giving out the five? Yeah. Yeah, I'm giving out the five. Uh, There's a couple horror movies that are up there, but I love Sue Watt. This is a 1939 film. Uh, We've now seen probably three to four plucky reporters. None of them act as good or or as well acted. The chemistry is good. You know, the fiance, you know, he's okay, but he can keep up with her. Uh, The other actors can't, but I don't care. Sue's awesome. She's got something to do. She does it well. Uh, she's also can fail, which I think is great, and then knows how to uh, sort of work with other people to get it done. Um, I feel like the movie probably want to take her down a peg. I don't care. I felt like it didn't matter. She knew what she had to do to get to get things done. So she uh, she's just awesome. I I was tickled by this movie. I give it five. Wow, I'm like we're we're at we're on episode twenty two. We still have a ways to go. I'm not ready to get out give out a five. I'm not going to give out a five for this movie. That's for sure. <laughs> not five screams. No. Five glasses of wine. Yeah. No. I get it. I get it. I helped come up with the rating system. Um, I'm only <laughs> going to give it two. I'm telling our listeners. But... Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm only going to give it two. Oh. You know? I mean, look. The car chase scene where she was like, fuck you guys. Like, super fun. Definitely. I enjoyed that for sure. The actress was really great in the way that she portrayed it because it didn't come off as this person being purposefully contrary. It came off as very playful, even though she was she was really obstructing justice. And she was she had everybody, including some of the cops in her pocket, telling her stuff when they really shouldn't have been so. But you kind of didn't care. But even so, I mean, when we get into the discussion of unique moments, there was nothing, nothing unique about this except the the phone was the delivery method. And it was only used for three killings, one of which we didn't even see. So there was nothing. It didn't really bring anything new in that respect. I think the director did a good job of bringing something new to in the way that he filmed it and i will say that the wardrobes the wardrobe that the actresses had in this movie was pretty amazing they were dressed very well but uh still i'm still going to give it only two glasses of wine all right wow this is probably the most, ooh a delta of 3 that's the biggest i think we've ever had oh my all right so now we're going to move on to screams and that is our overall rating so it can be a combination of knives and wine but you could just completely come out of left field and give it a completely different rating what do you think mike how many screams so the transfer is bad uh so that doesn't that hurts the enjoyment but i'm trying not to hold it against the film but i mean just objectively it's it's a little difficult to understand what's going on um the plot is a little rushed and and frankly there's so many characters and they don't always make sense the police do things that are just sort of either over the top or outright illegal sue has superpowers she probably shouldn't have and yet uh i absolutely adored sue i thought the actress was fantastic i think that this again was surprisingly giving her a quite a bit of freedom and competence for uh, a character um who very often in these roles 
is allowed a little bit of leeway, but is really, you know, you get the impression they're trying to corral her. The, the vibe here is that Sue isn't going to put up with nobody. Even, I don't care if she's married, she she's going to keep everybody in line. So it's just awesome to see it. But, you know, we also have to acknowledge that the movie is just, it, it's sort of not the best vehicle for, her, for this character and for the actress, unfortunately. So uh, I'll give it three and a half. Okay, that's a little higher than I than I would have thought. Um, yeah, I, where am I going with this? What am I thinking about this? I don't even really know. I didn't hate it. It didn't make me mad. It didn't annoy me. It started out with a lot of characters really quickly and then wrapped it all up again really quickly. The plot had a lot of twists that it probably could have benefited from another half an hour so that you could truly understand it because keeping up with it was a little difficult. There was a lot of people informing on other people, etc. But also, there were very few plausible suspects, right? You had the people who were, you knew that they were mob bosses, okay? So you knew that they were bad. You had you know, the lawyer, you had the, you know, maybe the DA, but pretty quickly you figure out that he's probably not a suspect. Some of the cops, like, I don't think so. So there's really only like two people that could have been doing the murders. So it really didn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, oh my gosh, ooh, you know, we come to find out that it was, you know, Ainsley and oh boy, you know, it wasn't, we didn't even really know that character, truly. And it's a murder mystery in the middle of a crime drama, right? So what's kind of weird is like the only person even slightly motivated to conceal his murders is the lawyer, who, by the way, is working for these crime bosses anyway, which is there's, there's like a weird like, well, you know, I got my legal business and my kind of on the side business. But as we see from the murder, the first murder we see on screen where the guy's poisoned and then gets shot. I don't even know that we need an invisible killer. No, they were the mob. Just shoot people and then bribe the cops. That's what you do, right? It's and there's no there's no person who is obfuscating who they actually are in this movie. They right. all are who they are. Right. And that's it. Where am I going? I don't know. I'm gonna give it two. The okay. fuck? I don't know what I'm doing. So two screams, I'm gonna give it because I mean it was enjoyable. I didn't have a great time watching it the second time, but very, I didn't hate it. It's a very Sue thing to do. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't, I mean, you know, if I have to be compared to one of the plucky female reporters, I suppose. Mike, are there any more plucky female reporters in this spate of movies and yeah. the rest of the movies that we have to watch? Yeah. 38 more. Yep. There are? Yeah. They're not <sighs> as good as Sue though. <laughs> She's the one that you're going to compare them all to. She is. Isn't she? She's like your first love. She is. Never going to get over her. I, I kind of now want to see like mainstream movies because I I feel like there is probably plucky reporter like Apex big budget out there that I'd love to actually witness. But I don't know. I don't know what it is. So I'm yeah, curious. Lo- Lois Lane, Superman, Margot Kidder, right? Well, yeah, but I'm talking about the 30s, 40s kind of style. But yeah, yeah, I'll be curious. I mean, there's Superman movie. There was Superman series, so maybe. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm a little over the trope, so I'd like to see a male plucky reporter. It's just called reporters. 
They don't. The males don't need plucking reports. They're just reporters. All right, Mike. Let's move on to the character that you have created, inspired by this movie, that is for use in tabletop role-playing games. Gosh, who could this character be? I just can't figure it out. It's a mystery, but I'm sure you're going to tell us. I mean, it's her name is Wu Soccer. No, it's not a, it's not a, a reporter. As much as I adore Sue, no, it's actually an invisible killer. I'm sorry, I felt very bad about the plot, and I had to fix it. So, the thing that's exciting about Ensley, if you take him out of the movie for a minute, is that he's a lawyer, and in D and D, I have a I have a supplement called Five uh, E RPG Steampunk Adventures. I have 13 different guilds that you can, your character can do as part of the artisan class, which is sort of a, my variant of the artificer class. And one of them is, is the, the uh, legal guild. So we actually have a template for how a lawyer might play in a sort of D&D party, which is kind of fun. And so I gave him those powers. So, so the Invisible Killer has two things that make him different. Uh, he is a jurist, so he knows the law and he can use that in creative ways to either harm people or protect himself and he is in fact invisible also and he poisons things he has the poison touch that he can uh with his touch he can poison things or either poison people directly or poison objects so you add all that together and he's actually a triple threat all right so tell well he's a triple threat but where is his main strength where do his stats come out yeah being invisible um, so as a lawyer he's got to be charismatic uh, and he can't be an idiot, so he's he's fairly clever, but he's also pretty dexterous, right? He has to be because he has to be able to sort of pull off being invisible, not tripping and stumbling over things. So it's a combination of sort of by day when you talk to him and he's visible, uh, he seems like a smooth-talking lawyer. And uh, not by night, when he's invisible, uh, he is uh, very dangerous. All right, so where would this – I mean, he's a lawyer, so mm-hmm. – and where would we place him? What kind of campaigns would would he be in? What kind what kind of modules would he be in that characters would encounter him? Because it's you're not going to find him in the middle of the woods. I'm assuming. No, no, he's very much a, a creature of sort of urban environments. But it's interesting because he's um, probably the kind of character that could be a barrister or lawyer in any fantasy campaign of course you know the legal system is only as developed as the fantasy world is so depending on what's happening in the world or where they are big cities probably have a more advanced legal system than than sort of your local village reeve but uh he can certainly operate in those circles and he could even work for the pcs at one point so i I love the idea of him sort of being a a slow burn character that starts out as an ally but actually is much more dangerous later um, and, you know, he's also one of those characters that works great as part of a criminal organization because he could be the unsuspecting villain, right? He's the villain that you don't consider. He's not the crime boss necessarily, but he's potentially someone who could give you a contract and that contract could have poison on it. And so you're thinking you're going to sign it and then he could set someone else up to end up looking like they assassinated you, right? Because whoever gave you the contract clearly is the person. So, you know, no one suspects the lawyer. Everybody suspects the lawyer. But at least in a fantasy world, he could make it plausible that they wouldn't suspect him at first. So let me ask you this, though. Could you see this character being sort of used 
a, a variation of this character being created if someone needed to, that if there isn't a formal justice system where someone would need a barrister or a lawyer, that this character might then be, I don't know, somebody who is a politician or somebody who is high up in the, the town or the village infrastructure, an elder or a leader of some kind instead of really like a lawyer. Yeah. So I'll, I mean, I can read off just real quick, like the, the legal powers he has um, are all things that could be applied to anything. So he's got eye for detail. So that's his ability to sort of um, do searches and pick up on things easily. He's got uh, jurist ear, which means he can tell if he hears a lie. He has legal immunity. So that's breaking the law within the context of his organization. So that could just be from the city watch. Um, and he has letter of the law, which allows him to get total legal immunity. Uh, I think I have that in there twice um, and persuade the court. So he has advantage to mod use charisma to persuade or please anyone else of a higher social station. None of those are required to have a legal system. They're really required to have just sort of guards of any sort. So as long as if your town has um, any kind of guard system, the city watch is probably going to, he's probably going to get away. And how do you think that, he kills people, actually. Uh, so he has uh, something called toxic touch, right, which is his ability to actually generate poison with his fingertips. And he can also poison objects. So to toxic touch is sort of a last resort. But more than likely, he goes invisible and he poisons an object, not a phone, but something similar, like a quill. That's one of his favorite things is to get people to sign contracts. He poisons something and he's long gone by the time the poison uh, is enacted. So, But he can sneak in to anywhere, poison something and get out without anybody suspecting it was poison at all. And then later it turns out that he eliminates his rival. So he, he can be pretty deadly in a uh, societal way. He's not necessarily a strong combatant. Yeah, I would say so. And I would think that it might take a while for some PCs to figure out who is committing these murders because of the way that it is going down. He's the kind of guy you'd need magic to figure out. Like mm -hmm. normal circumstances would be very difficult to, to catch him. And this is why I sort of love the concept. <laughs> He's not, he doesn't do sound waves, but I actually love the idea of what Invisible Killer implies. Um, and then the fact that he was a lawyer was barely touched on the movie, but I really wanted to make it part of the character because this way he is sort of, an interesting character by when he's visible and equally dangerous when he's not. And so where can people download this character so that they can incorporate it into their tabletop role-playing games? So we have him for free available each week that we release a podcast. We will release on my Patreon, patreon.com slash T-A-L-I-E-N. That's Italian. We'll be releasing each character that we debut, and the Invisible Killer will be there for free to the public on all your socials. Um, but it will the home will be patreon.com slash Italian. Additionally, part of the Invisible Killer, and as well as all the characters we've covered, will be part of 5e Foes Gothic Villains which will be on DriveThruRPG. So that's a supplement for sale, but it's actually available as part of your patronage. So if you're a patron, you get access to that. Um, we get all of them in a nicely formatted document, a PDF, and that is compatible with 5e RPG Gothic Adventures, which is sort of obviously exactly what it says in the tin. Uh, and actually, in this case, uh, 5e RPG Steampunk Adventures. So this is a little bit of a crossover as well. So all of that is available in our DriveThruRPG and we will have all those links, but it will be available to the public for free on patreon.com slash Italian. All right, Mike, I think that's 
wrapping it up. I think we have to say goodbye to Sue. No. Are you ready? I'm not really, to be honest. I hope I'm hoping we can reference her again as a high standard for plucky reportage, but I guess we'll see. I mean, it was a high standard for the trope. She brought something to it, and the actress did a fine job. I do think that it is a little sad that the actress stopped taking on roles for herself and essentially just supported her husband, Hopalong Cassidy, in his roles. And she was a fine actress and a very good-looking woman. So I, I, I do think that that's a shame. But at least we have this movie. And there's a few others. I don't know. Maybe you might like to see watch I, I kind of do. I kind of want to see what, what Grace can do. But I do feel like, I don't know, like this was sort of a very specific role that worked out really well for her. I you know I've looked at some of our, her other movies that she was in. They don't seem to be similar, but... She could, I'm sure she was a lovely actress, so I imagine she did great in anything she was in. But to your point, too bad that she uh, she stopped. But uh, we have this one. We'll always have the Invisible Killer, Sue. Oh, we'll always have the Invisible Killer. All right, well, that will wrap it up then for episode 22 of 50 Date Night Screams, The Invisible Killer from 1939. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to find the character at patreon.com slash Italian. And Mike, thanks again. Uh, you're, you're a little, uh, it's a little uh, bit of an attachment for you with this movie. <laughs> so moving on might be a little bit of a challenge. Don't but, worry. Uh, I'm sure I'll come back for the next episode. I, I live here. So. I know. I know. Uh, maybe we'll make a drinking game out of it. Is that every time that Mike mentions Sue Walker outside of episode 22, that we all have to take a drink? We already started that. We did that last episode. So good. We're right. off to a good start. All right. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at patreon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Mm-hmm.